So we are back. We're a little late. Slightly late, but we're here and that's what matters. We got it together. We'll, we'll blame it on COVID vaccines. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So I got the second dose and totally wiped me out. Was not Did they put the chip that. in in the first dose or the second dose? You know, I think that they put um, a sample chip in in the first dose. And then oh, to see how the it second works. dose is the real thing. And that's why you get so sick. So you're microchipped like your dogs. Yeah. Because they couldn't track me before with the, the device that I've been carrying around for the last 10 years or more, right? Like probably 15 years. I've had they couldn't them. track you posting everything you do on Facebook. I don't have Facebook, but I... I no, I'm talking about the general population. Oh, just the general public. Yeah. cracks me up, the people who are paranoid about the microchips. Well, they're Meanwhile, the same people who were like posting their location when they invaded the Capitol. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there's that. But they also post every moment of their lives on things like Facebook and social media. Right. It's like, well, you've already made it easy to track you. I don't we know what know where you the are, microchip's going to do. But so it is a lovely April day. And we're going to talk about taxes today. Yeah, very time. It would normally it would normally be tax day next week on the fifteenth, but yes, it's been pushed back to May, thirty seven days from now. So uh, we're going to we're going to talk about taxes specifically in the United States. Although we were just having a discussion, we are going to start to try to globalize our podcast a little bit more. And talk about topics not necessarily grounded in the United States. Although virtually everything, I think there's a way for us to connect it back to U.S. history. Sure. Um, And uh, yeah, so before we get started, just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please do so. If you love listening to us, please leave a review. Uh, Like we've said before we will do episodes based on viewer request or listener requests. So if there's something specific you want us to talk about, we can do the research and kind of do a podcast on it. Um, I'm already thinking of what I want to do. And I know Hillary's going to roll her eyes when I say it. Um, I would love to do something about baseball. Oh, I didn't get the head roll. I roll. I got the head, the very deep head nod. Well, I mean, yeah, I baseball's fine. I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> what about bare knuckle boxing? Ugh. Great I book. Too. I mean, there's a lot. Actually, a lot of um, you know historical work on that. A lot of academics have talked quite a bit about the early 20th century and manliness and boxing, sporting, and sporting, sporting culture. Yeah, there's definitely a space for that, and there's even classes that you can take about American sporting culture. I think. We could definitely talk about it. Is it my favorite thing? No, but neither are taxes, and here we are. So, <laughs> Well, let's get into the taxes. Okay. Play the intro. Welcome to An Incomplete History. I'm Hillary. And I'm Jeff. And we're your hosts for this weekly history podcast. So, before we dive into taxes, obviously, we have to get the weather report. It is a gorgeous 
April day here in San Diego. I don't think there's a cloud in the sky. We did have marine layer this morning. Uh, it burned off early. It's a gorgeous clear sky. It's in the low 70s. A tiny little breeze coming in from the ocean. Beautiful. Yeah, we've got a Why, here as well. Is it? What's the temperature? It's 70 degrees. Well, wasn't it just like 40 like three days ago? Um, no, it's actually been pretty warm the last few days. Um, the last time we recorded, I guess a week ago, it was a little cold. But last night, though, we had a crazy storm, tornado warnings, etc. Did you get in your safe room? Hmm? Did you go in the safe room? No, we didn't. It wasn't like an alarm. It was just like a, hey, be on the lookout. They might come. But we didn't ever get like an actual get in the closet. I remember when I would go to my aunt's in South Carolina in the summer, um, there'd be nights where there'd be big storms and the sky would turn green. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we were out last night. We went to go get milkshakes and the sky was just completely black and the sun hadn't set yet. And the storm was about to start any minute. And I'm like, we've got to get these milkshakes now and get home now. Where'd you get the milkshakes? It was just a whole, it was a mess. We went to cook out and the line was too long. And then we went to- Is that like an Oxford? Is that like an Oxford? It's like a Southern um, fast food restaurant. Oh, okay. They have a huge milkshake menu, which is really cool. There's like 30 flavors on it. So anyway, we ended up at (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I won't judge. Okay. Thank you. A, I saw people on a prom date there last night. Anyway. Chick- this- Maybe it was after their prom. No, it was before. Oof. Yeah. Okay. It was, and they, they had to eat outside and everything. It was just a total mess. And I'm like, there's a tornado coming. Like, maybe don't eat outside at Chick-fil-A right now. Yeah. Anyway, we're just chatting and. I know we are. I'm trying to uh, talking about taxes. I know. So, so. You know, it was my suggestion we talk about taxes because normally uh, this coming Thursday, it would be tax day. Um, However, that's delayed this year until May 17th. It was delayed last year too, right? It was delayed last year by quite a bit. I think it was delayed till October. Oh, wow. Something it was really pushed back last year. But this year it's pushed back about a month. and we haven't, we've touched on taxes before, but I think kind of a focused episode where we talk about taxes in the United States, I think is something interesting that doesn't get talked about very much or there's it only gets talked there. about. There's not a lot out there. I mean, there's, there's not, I was looking for academic articles and, and peer reviewed books and things. And there's just not much, although it seems to be changing. It is, people are starting to kind of, write about this. If anybody's out there wanting to write a dissertation, I would say go down this road because there really isn't a whole ton out there. And I I think that there's a huge gap in the literature when you talk about taxes in this country. And there are a lot of different routes you can take with it, right? I mean, one thing we know for sure is that we hate taxes. Yeah, nobody's cheerful on April when they start to do their taxes, maybe they're cheerful if they're getting a refund, but nobody's cheerful about paying taxes. Nobody goes to the store 
and pays a sales tax. And they're like, yes. Yay. What I discovered about sales taxes, which are interesting, is that sales taxes weren't a thing until we came, like, became a really huge consumer society in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because it's just yeah. a given, you know, you go to the store and you're just going to be taxed and you don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Or when you're buying something online, you're like, Oh, this is a great deal. And then the tax <laughs> come in and then it, yeah, it's a, but it's kind of just a given. We don't really even consider. I mean, I don't, but it wasn't always that way. And I think we should kind of start back in the beginning of like, there was no income tax. Income tax is a newish thing. Oh, right. There- Right. So I think first we need to separate stuff. So income tax is part of the conversation, but there are other taxes as well. And many of you who kind of maybe took U.S. history or have listened to some of our podcasts know that taxes were part of the justification for the colonies leaving the United Kingdom, separating. They... They argued that the levying of taxes was unjust because they were not allowed to have representation in parliament to debate and discuss those taxes. Um, And those were mostly excise taxes. Those And so, right, and those are excise taxes. So you have excise taxes and tariffs are the two big taxing tools that most states have. And by states, I mean countries in the late 18th, early 19th century. So excise taxes are on, uh, if you buy certain products, you have to pay an excise tax on it. Tariffs are certain things brought in. There's a tax added onto it. And what's interesting is that the, the excise taxes that the crown creates I think they're okay for a lot of them. I think where they really get themselves in trouble is the Stamp Act. Right. Which the Stamp is, Act is a really interesting tax that's levied because it's not just about what we would consider a stamp today of like you mail a letter and you put a stamp on it, but it was that all paper products that were used were taxed because there had to be like a stamp that was um, you know, from the crown on every single solitary document, paper product on every um, playing card, you know, playing. Yeah. Everything had this stamp on it that it doesn't have anything to do with like the stamps that we think about today, but it was a huge tax. And especially on people um, who were in the uh, wealthier kind of classes too, because as people who were like lawyers and merchants stuff, they were getting hammered because they used so much paper and they had so mm-hmm. many documents. Um, and so when you start taxing people who are who are really wealthy, like then that becomes a really big problem. Well, and these are also people who are connected and they also have legal knowledge. Right. And they're the ones who are being impacted by it most. I mean, their business and their, their livelihood is impacted by it the most. But it wasn't, I mean, the stamp act wasn't the only thing there was a um, excise tax on tea uh, or not tea, uh, sugar, there were all these other excise and taxes. And tea. That's why we threw it over. Well, in tea. But I mean, sugar was the one I think I wanted to talk about because what is interesting that starts to happen and colonists get really good at smuggling stuff in, like really good at it. So let me ask you this, okay? If you're a colonist at that time 
and you're starting to get all these taxes levied, taxes levied against you. Do you think it was unjust that they were being taxed without being represented? Well, I mean, that so do you believe in virtual representation? So this is the argument that was made is that they were, even though they didn't have direct members of parliament, they were virtually represented. And they all were the, protected. Well, here's the thing. That's what the, I always thought about. The bulk of this money that's being raised via these excise taxes is actually designed to help pay for an incredibly expensive war. The Seven so Years it's called War, the, right? Seven Years War globally, the French and Indian War in North America. It, and it is a world war. Um, the multiple countries in Europe are fighting. The two biggest are, um, the UK and France. Um, and George Washington may or may not have been involved in starting it in North America. Oh, he was. Yeah. Oh, it's arguable. So what, what the fighting in North America taking place in the late 18th century, and of course, remember, this is before the revolution. This is during colonial time. Um, there's, there's disputes over who's going to claim this land, right? Ooh. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's like these European powers are feuding with one, and over, uh, one another over who's going to take over this land. Meanwhile, there are native people who already are there. Um, and so these wars become very, very, very expensive. And they end up having so many British troops in the colonies to protect the people who live there. So while there isn't a form of representation, which I understand like some beef with that, they're also benefiting from the world's largest military. They're protecting them in these huge, you know, skirmishes or fights, wars, conflicts, whatever, that are breaking out all the time in all places. Um, and so when I think at that time, I mean, I think I've said before on here, like I'm, I'm a loyalist and uh, I just thought they were being total babies. Um, I think that, I just think that they were a little too pressed over being taxed when there were so many resources that were being used in order to protect the people in the colonies. And I think eventually there would have been representation. They would have been incorporated in, in a natural manner. I think they were getting a little impatient. Um, I'm the worst American historian. Cause I'm just like, it shouldn't even exist, but here we are. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think, the way the taxes are done are um, suspect. And in fact, we definitely know that some of the tax, some of the later excise taxes are specifically put in to punish the colonists for earlier things. So it's not, so it stops being strictly about just paying back debts that are owed because of military expenditures during the, the seven years war it becomes punitive um, on the colonists. And, you know, so we enter into the formation of this brand new country already with the idea that taxes are bad, that taxes are a form of government oppression. It's oppression, right? And that there isn't really a way to agree on how the money should or will be spent. I mean, because even people who were involved in, you know, the founding, we don't like using that phrase, but, you know, some of the earlier folks involved in the formation of government uh, were very much against taxes or some were for it, but just for different ways. And there wasn't really a consensus over how it should be done. But 
they didn't want an income tax. No. And they income, definitely like, I think they would be like just shook at how much income tax actually ends up being taken from paychecks throughout the 20th century um, because it, there was no income tax because there wasn't a strong federal government at the time. Well, so you get the Articles of Confederation um, and the federal government itself, well, the government, the central government has no ability to levy taxes or anything like that. They just can't. They're not allowed to. It's left up to the individual states. Meanwhile, all these states have accumulated, not all of them, most of them have accumulated fairly large debts as a result of the war. And remember, we've talked about this before. Um, the Continental Army owed money to soldiers. Individuals, not been being paid. Right. Individual yeah. states owed money to militia as well as suppliers of goods. I mean, all of this money is owed and there's no consistent way to collect any of this. Well, and it's not that money's owed, but it's that they have nothing. There's no infrastructure in these regions. So it's like, how are they supposed to build up a society? Mm -hmm. How are they supposed to build up the pillars of like what would be considered a city or a town or whatever if they just don't have any money coming in to support the social infrastructure that they want to build, including roads and well, there's infras there's infrastructure and there's also just paying off debts that are owed. Um, and we see this, go back to our rebellions episode, because Shay's Rebellion, 1786 and 1787, I think directly leads to the constitutional convention and the creation of a brand new government, because suddenly there's a recognition that there has to be a way for the federal government to levy taxes. When they can't, because when they come out trying to collect taxes in these frontier places, they're tarred and feathered and murdered and um chased at the very out. least chased off at the very least chased off um, there's no yeah there's no that's what i think is interesting about this time is there's no people today aren't like i'm not going to pay my taxes and i'm going to like chase off the irs like it's just too ingrained like but at that time like you could there was no way to enforce it, right? There was no way to enforce tax. Well, and oftentimes, if you were a tax collector, you were personally responsible for the taxes you were supposed to collect. So this is Martha Ballard's husband's problem in Midwife's Tale. He actually gets put in prison because he doesn't collect all the he taxes. He doesn't have the amount. Yeah. And he's getting run out of towns and threatened and et cetera. But he's responsible for bringing X amount of dollars in, right? He is. And and he's held accountable and like locked in jail for this. So you get kind of Shay's Rebellion. And after that, you get a constitutional convention. You get the formation of the United States with the Constitution. And the Constitution explicitly gives the right to kind of manage taxes to the Congress. Now, it doesn't say much more than that. And I think that's, again, part of the problem. When it's not um, until the 16th Amendment into the 20th century that you don't have anything well, so, said about taxes. So the thing the federal government leans back on is one that everybody's kind of familiar with, 
But remember, it's got a kind of an evil reputation for the revolution, excise taxes. So they put an excise tax upon spirits distilled within the United States. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's one thing that pisses Americans off is taxing liquor. Well, they make. Uh, so here's the thing. If you're a farmer in Western Pennsylvania or Western New York, corn grows really easily. Uh, and you produce massive quantities of it, corn and other grains. The problem with that is there's no kind of infrastructure to transport those materials easily to the coast where most of the population lives. So those that produce is going to rot um, or spoil. Uh, distilling it into whiskey or other spirits is an easy way to still make money off of those crops. And the Whiskey Rebellion in 1794 in Western Pennsylvania is like one of the things that happens as a result of this. Um, When you have a huge amount of federal troops that go in and put it down. And so you do- Federal troops being paid. Yeah. Well, you do see an attempt of the federal government to- to start to exercise some level of authority or power. Right. They're like, we do have the right to actually do this. And then the one that I discovered kind of researching this, that I had never heard from before of before I like went back and I was like, how do I not know about this? A group of Pennsylvania Dutch farmers in 1799 led something called Fry's rebellion. Um, have you ever heard of this before you were researching this? Yes, because I well, used to that was your old stomping ground. Well, but I there. taught Pennsylvania history. So you want to tell us about Fry's yeah, Rebellion? State. Um, yeah. Let me pull up my notes on Fry's Rebellion. Um, I do have, I had a, a whole lecture about it. Um, so it's, it's one of the big three, right? You have Shays, you have whiskey, and then you have, Fry's Rebellion. Um, and this this has to do with paying for the military. And I think that there's a lot of um, still issues that we have today about getting upset over our taxes being used to pay for the military. But this one is that um, Congress was raising money to enlarge the Navy. And so they impose... Um, $2 million in new taxes on real estate and slaves. So it's a property well, what's, tax. What's going on globally at this moment? Globally at this moment, the quasi-war? With France. With France, yeah. So we're in a kind of semi-war with France, right? And so the Cong- Congress is trying to expand and enlarge the Navy um, because we have a really, really nascent military power structure and we and the navy is somewhat non-existent at this point so congress wants to levy two million dollars in new taxes to expand the navy and so they start um you know taxing heavier in order to pay for this because we're in the quasi war um and it was you know this new tax on property uh it was a was the first federal tax um and so this was also the time during the quasi war you had passing the alien and sedition acts. And it's kind of related here because it criminalizes any sort of dissent. So if anybody was going to dissent like in Fry's rebellion, um, you could be, you can be imprisoned for that. Well, the federalists are in charge. 
at this point. Right. And so they want the strong central government to, um, to, to rule out. So there's this guy named John Fry's. Um, he, he's a Pennsylvanian um, and he starts organizing these uh, meetings and, you know, kind of uh, gets people together to talk about, you know, the, that there needs to be a collective response to this new tax. Um, and, you know, he kind of gets a bunch of people together um, and they start protesting and, uh, they have Liberty flags and, and everything they're protesting, um, you know, expanding the military and then being charged for it. Um, there's also a conspiracy theory that starts to circulate amongst oh, the population. Tell, tell the conspiracy theory. So, you know, this is not a, a conspiracy theory episode, but, but so these are relatively recent German immigrants to the United States. Uh, these are the Pennsylvania Dutch. And for whatever reason, they are very suspicious of the Federalist. Um, this, this incident actually means German Americans kind of almost completely reject the Federalist Party by the end of the day for this. But they were very suspicious of the Federalist because the Federalist seemed a little cozy with the English. And remember, well, they were I mean, a little bit. Alexander Hamilton wanted the future of the nation to be trade with England. This is, I mean, one of the reasons he and Jefferson hate each other is they have very different visions for what the future will look like. And this rumor starts to circulate that John Adams is going to have one of his sons marry the daughter of King George III. That's, that would be a cause for alarm, right? Well, they're they're like, terrified of monarchy again. They had just gone through war really not that long ago. Right. What is this yeah. money being raised for exactly? Are we going to have redcoats marching through the streets soon? Well, but the money was being raised to draw up a Navy, which we didn't have. What they didn't want though. I mean, so like people in Pennsylvania are so opposed to this because you have to think about like Pennsylvania, a lot of Pennsylvania is very frontier. Like anything west of Philadelphia is like, oh, these are frontiersmen. And and these are why there's well, so look at the like counties. It's, it's Bucks, Northampton, and Montgomery counties. Right. The, which are not area. Western Pennsylvania at all now. No, no. But they at that time, it was not Philadelphia, right? I mean, it was kind of rural people. No? So Ron Chernow in his book on Alexander Hamilton makes an argument about this. He actually talks about it. Um, a little bit, um, which I went back and looked and I was like, oh, I guess he does talk about it. Um, he points to this as one of the moments where the Federalists really are losing their grip, their their popularity. Well, they go out of control with the Alien and Sedition Acts, the Quasi-War, and levying these taxes. And mm -hmm. people start to get very uncomfortable with the level of government intervention and the level of government control that starts to take place that is reminiscent to them of colonial rule. And I think that they, you know, John Adams was kind of, he was a little out of control as a president in terms of his authority or trying to be authoritative. And it makes sense that he was followed by somebody like an anti-federalist, like Jefferson followed. Well, him, but right? What Adams says about these men, like Fries and these other men, he says they're obscure, miserable Germans as ignorant of our language as they were of our laws. 
Yikes. And he says they're actually pawns of people like Jefferson. When he puts them all on trial, which is, again, another one of these. For treason. For treason. And I mean, this is very similar to like his passage of the Alien Sedition Acts, where they're just going after people that have anything uh, negative to say or uncooperative to say about the government. Um, he was also somebody who was not a very into free speech or freedom of the press. Uh, and he was going after these newspapers who would say anything bad about him. So Fry's getting together and like having all these people get together and kind of create a little bit of a militia to, to protest the taxes. Um, he holds them on trial. Oh, there's over 30 people um, who are tried for treason, for stirring up trouble. Um, and they were sentenced to be hanged. It's just like a total overreach of power and totally related to... He does pardon them. Yes, but like it's insane the levels that he goes to to try to like quiet people who have any level of uh, resistance to this formation of a strong central government that's being powered by the collection of taxes. I mean... It's uncomfortable. Is it... Are you surprised that the same man who defends the Redcoats involved in the Boston Massacre does this? No. It's law and order. No, I'm not surprised. It's law and order, right? It's law and order and no dissent. Yeah. Yeah, ruling with an iron fist kind of a thing. It's very anti-American. Well, one of his arguments is those Redcoats are simply doing their job. Now, see, that's a way I'm not really a loyalist there. It's complicated. My feelings are complicated. Right. I but really I mean, like John Adams. The, well, it's, but it's one of the defenses he uses is that. Um, yeah. Well, the Nazis are saying they do their job too, right? Right. I mean, right. Uh, taxes. So, taxes on some level, taxes knock the Federalist Party out of power and destroy it. It stops to be, it stops being a political party because of taxes. Yeah. It's very, it's very, to me, like there's what I try to teach to students in this time period, like whether I'm teaching just plain U.S. history or Pennsylvania history, whatever I'm teaching. It's like the problems that we have right now, you can always take them back to the 1790s. The period for me between 1790 and 1800 is the most important 10 years in American history because so many of the issues that we have that stem from these from these moments in the early Republic and, and these fights that were being had about taxes, about control of government, about the amount of um, intrusion the government has into lives, into the economy, um, whether or not we're responsible for paying for the military infrastructure, et cetera, we still have these fights to this day. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of the country. Well, I, I, and I have to apologize if you hear Harvey. There's a two birds. There are two birds outside, and he is l- racing around the house. Um, Hillary can see me on camera, and she can see him. It's just like this blur that keeps darting behind me. Um, he was being very good earlier. Now he's kind of misbehaving. Um, well, I mean, I. The military is this thing, right? I mean, Americans kind of get used to to tariffs and excise taxes existing. They don't necessarily like them, uh, but they there's kind of an acceptance eventually that those can happen to some to some extent. But broader taxes, including things like income taxes, 
are really vilified and these direct taxes like the one that Fry's Rebellion is about um, become very rare except when expensive wars have to be paid for. And what's one thing that unites the 19th century? It's a series of expensive wars for the United States. Yeah. Well, and again, you're thinking about development of infrastructure from the ground up where the United States is a, is a brand new country. The military is a brand new thing. Um, you end up having, having to kind of build from the ground up where, you know, you get your independence from the most powerful nation in the world at the time, the most powerful military in the world at the time, um, you're independent from them, but yeah, now you're independent from them and you've got to bring your own Navy up. You've got to bring up your own army, your own whatever, right? Whatever branch of the military or whatever sort of protections that need to take place in the United States, uh, this new country, they're going to have to start collecting a lot of taxes because that's exactly what was happening with the British at that time when they were so upset about the taxes, they were funding wars. And in order to fund wars, you need money. And so it kind of just comes full circle where it's like, okay, you didn't really get away from the tax thing because now you have to just fund your own military and your own wars. Well, and that's the thing is the young country finds out how expensive it is to do these things. Um, It's expensive to be at war. It's expensive to be at war. Like, so we have the war of 1812, expensive. Uh, we have the um, Mexican-American War, expensive. When this is where we get the civil disobedience, right, is throw that writes about not paying, refusing to pay taxes to support the Mexican-American War. Right, it's tolls. It's tolls that he refuses to pay. So this is the way infrastructure was generally paid for. The poll tax, right? The poll tax were these were roads and things. Uh, so you have poll tax, you have two different kinds of poll taxes. Uh, well, you have poll taxes and you have tolls. Um, roads are privately constructed and you have to pay tolls on those. And then you have poll taxes that when you go to vote, you have to pay a certain amount of money to actually be able to vote. Um, I mean, the government comes up with many, many ways to pay for things. Um and in the 19th century, none of it really sticks. There are a few times where federal taxes, where there's a uh, direct taxes, but they're struck down by the Supreme Court. Um, but I mean, think about it. Think about the wars that have to be fought uh, or that are fought, um, particularly something like the Civil War. The Civil War is incredibly expensive. Well, let's go back a little bit to property tax. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because when you're thinking about 19th century United States and you're thinking about a tax on property, this does mean human beings as well. Well, this is one of the points of contention in Fry's Rebellion is that slaves are included in what's going to be taxed. Exactly. And the Pennsylvanians argue we don't have slaves Therefore, our houses and land are going to be taxed at a higher rate, and they're taxed and, by their windows. Oh yeah, the Did numbers. You know so you get these like the number. Well, I mean, it, it does feed yeah. into the conspiracy because you have these guys running, walking around, counting people's windows. So that's a huge thing. If you look at like old row houses in Philadelphia, if there's a lot of windows in them, like a lot of times people would put extra windows 
just to be like, we can afford the windows. And then you'll look at others where it's like, where's where there's no light coming into here. And it's for a very specific reason, because you were taxed by the number of windows that your home had by, it was a property tax. Right. And so, yeah, they would try to go collect more taxes from people who were not slave owners because they were trying to like, uh, I guess, even out the score in a way of like, everybody should be paying the same amount. Um, but there were a lot of people who were like, we don't own slaves. Like we don't want to be taxed in the same ways. Um, so the ways that they go about collecting taxes is always fascinating to me. And it's never consistent and it's always, uh, refuted. Nobody wants it. And it's not until the civil war that you really start to see a little more consistency. And it's actually more like world war one, where we start to see, taxes looking a little more like what we're used to today. Well, so the Civil War, incredibly expensive conflict from 1861, although I would put the start in 1860 probably, to 1865. It's not till two years in the war in 1862 that Congress finally decides, huh, uh, tariffs and excise taxes really aren't helping, particularly since the states in rebellion don't collect any of those for us. Right. We've lost a huge amount of our revenue coming in. So they institute an income tax on everybody who makes more than six hundred dollars, and dollars, uh, right? And, lot then. and what's interesting though is then the Confederacy that ostensibly detests a strong central government and supports state governments, they actually have to levy taxes as well because war is expensive. Because war is expensive. Yes, this is what we come to the conclusion. But of what's time. so this this income tax? persist until 1872, where it's changed. And it becomes an increased excise tax or a sin tax. I mean, and this is what's interesting. So what gets the excise tax? Tobacco and alcohol. Sin tax. I love that. And I wanted to ask you this. I should look, I should have looked into it, but I'm wondering if you just know, is this something that's just really American? Or is this something that's kind of global? No, I think you, you I think things that are like, not luxuries, but things that are like really bad for you. Like we have like soda taxes now or things like right. that. There Is are that luxury taxes. Thing? No, no. no. Okay. You get, there are luxury taxes in Europe. I know in, a, in some countries. Is it a lu- so that's the thing. Luxury tax and syntax are different. Well, but I think everybody understands tax. the luck. I think everybody understands luxury means sin. Yeah. But it's so funny that we call it sin here because it seems so violently Protestant to me. Well, the country is a violently Protestant country. That's what I'm saying, though, because like <laughs> other countries aren't saying that they're calling it a luxury tax of like. Well, I mean, here's the thing: you if- don't need, but you may want. But here, it's like you're sinning, and you're going to pay for it. It's diff- It's like the language is different. Yeah. Well, from the middle, from from the post Civil War moment until World War One, you get the rise of prohibition. You get prohibition really starts to take off. And here's the thing. You are on a collision course. The government's number one source of revenue is eventually alcohol excise taxes. Yeah, and then they get rid of it. But they, they can but if you're a government right, but if you're a government official, you see this. You're like, oh, oh no. crap. Like they want to outlaw alcohol. Like, yeah. how are we gonna pay for anything? Yeah. And then alcohol doesn't go away. As a matter of fact, alcohol consumption increases during prohibition. And now there's no taxes coming in from it. And there's no taxes on it. So from an economic standpoint, this is a disaster for this country. So 1913, 
World War One. It's obvious in 1913 the United States is going to get involved in this conflict. We hang I mean, out for a few years and don't, though. Right. I, I mean, I think it's interesting. People who overstate our our kind of reticence to get involved. Everybody kind of knows the U.S. is going to get involved. It's just a question of when it's going to happen. So the United States ratifies the 16th Amendment. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source, source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any censors, census or enumeration. Okay, it's it gives, wild that it takes like over 130 years for this to happen in this country. Well, but I mean, it, but it happens. But it happens. And this allows Congress to tax... Individual income as well as business income. And this actually allows the government to start to create more consistent and coherent funding schemes for things like infrastructure and the military. When we really do start seeing a huge, heavy development of a stronger central government at this time, and leading up to the first and then the second world war, and then in the wake of it, the income tax in the wake of the Second World War is 90%. 90%. So 1918, income tax revenues are $1 billion. Two years later, 20, uh, or 1920, $5 billion. Crushing it. Um, and then in World War II, again, as a result of expenses for World War I, they, there's an increase in tax revenue to $45 billion, as well as mandatory withholding. So now employers are required to withhold a certain amount of taxes from employees' paychecks. Which I think the founders would have been just sick over that. Mm-hmm. We often, I mean, we often talk about like, well, what would they have wanted? And I don't agree with that. I don't, I think that's stupid to even consider like who cares what people who were owners of a slave. Thomas Jefferson thought if you moved to warm climates, you might change race. That's what I'm saying. That gets stupid. But what I will say is like, we don't really talk about that when it comes to other topics. Like we talk about it when it comes to like guns. Guns and taxes. Yeah. It's interesting. What would the founding fathers want for women's education? Uh, they wouldn't want women to be educated. Well, see, they're, they're not, yeah. I'm saying that they're. I don't value their opinions. Right. I right. No, I know. Interesting. It's, but like, this is where the conversation will often go. And and the people who fight taxes today. I mean, there's a lot of that. Again, is rooted in the 1790s, and I'm just obsessed with that decade. So one of the reasons we want to talk about this is Joe Biden, current president of the United States, uh, has this massive infrastructure plan. And how does he want to fund it? Well, with taxes. On who? People who make over $400,000 per year. And? And corporations. And corporations. Okay, this is where it gets hairy. I think we disagree here. Do we? I think so. Well, I mean, this the 16th Amendment lets Congress do that. I And I will just say, I would love for corporations to be taxed. I don't think that it's possible without losing those corporations. Oh, so it's the... 
But see, that's kind of blackmail on the corporations. I part. understand, but that doesn't mean they're not going to do it. You can't they're give them the blackmail. Shit. <laughs> they, I mean, our honestly, podcast is our podcast is rated PG, by the way. I actually, yeah, uh, I had a friend who had was listening to our conspiracy theory episode with kids in the car, and she's like, "I had to turn it off because you were talking about." Children and blood. And I was, I'm sorry. Yes. The, the podcast is PG 13, but anyway, I, I do. I mean, I would love to think that we could tax these billionaires, these corporations, et cetera, fairly. I don't think it's possible without losing them to other countries because we see it all the time and it happens internally. So for example, I'll use California California has a much, much higher tax rates than other places in the country. And they have different types of taxes. Like how much is it for a gallon of gas right now? Three something. Three something, right? It's probably, it's like 170 something here right now, right? Like there's just different taxes and like different, like environmental taxes, et cetera. And then there's different. We all drive Teslas. So we don't use gas. We all drive Teslas. You know, all you I don't, don't all drive Tesla. Drive Tesla's, I don't and that's drive a the Tesla. problem. Well, but um, here's but what so, there's a lot of businesses that leave California because of this. And I think that there will be a lot of businesses that leave the United States if they start getting taxed fairly. So multiple levels of tax going on in the United States today. So you've got a federal income tax. And that's the one that we all talk about. You also have state income tax, although those don't exist everywhere. Um, famously, there was a state you used to live in that didn't have a, an income tax, or they didn't have one for a long time. Do they have one now? Texas. No, there's no state income tax in Texas or Florida. And but Texas property taxes oh are my gosh, really higher. Exorbitantly high. Right. So, I mean, this is the thing. States and the federal government have to fund what they do somehow. They're going to get their money from somewhere, whether that's from directly taxing your income or what you buy. Um, We still have excise taxes today. There's an excise tax on gas. Which is so weird because there really shouldn't be. And the excise tax, uh, tax on gas predates the environmental movement. Mm-hmm. which I find fascinating because I get it now, right? We're like, oh, we're trying to discourage people from using fossil fuels. These taxes existed well before that. And you have to kind of wonder why, because you you want people to drive and to go to their jobs and stuff like that. So why are you taxing them to do that? But the, the argument is like, well, it's because it pays for roads. And you know, if you ever drive on the East Coast, it's like toll after toll after toll. Um, to get places. But in California, there's not as many toll roads. And so the gas taxes are higher. Is that right? Right. Well, I mean, you've got that, but then you've got taxes on other things as well. So if I go into a grocery store and I buy some tortillas and eggs and cheese and beans and salsa and come make a breakfast burrito, I don't pay taxes on any of that. If I go to a local burrito place and buy a breakfast burrito, I pay tax on that. Does your breakfast burrito taste better? You're a chef. So Cause it's yeah. lip. Cause it's Liberty. It tastes like freedom. Well, no, I mean, so that's <laughs> the thing, like, I would rather pay the tax to not eat my crappy burrito. You know? 
Right. But I mean, it's, there's no consistency there. That's true. And isn't there also, there's junk food taxes in particular places, right? Not everywhere. Um, like some places, find... but a lot of those have been struck down. Because, well, that's really classist. This is really classist. Right. So here's the, so there's, so you may hear people talk about regressive taxes. So regressive tax is something like a gasoline excise tax. If I make a quarter of a million dollars a year, do I care that I have to pay 50 cents extra per gallon in California for gas? No. If I'm making minimum wage, does that extra money mean something? Yeah. Yeah. Because a regressive tax is like a consistent tax no matter what your income, right? Yeah. So taxes on goods are regressive because it hurts people with lower incomes more than it hurts people with higher incomes. Right. People with higher incomes don't even pay attention to that. But I mean, so in California, we have this other issue and we have this thing called the tax revolt. Um, But in California, property taxes, as California property post-World War II kind of exploded value-wise, suddenly by the late 60s, early 70s, people found themselves being taxed out of their houses because their assessed property values were so much higher than when they bought the properties, they could no longer afford to pay the property taxes. So there's this tax revolt that happens, and Ronald Reagan's really involved in it when he's governor of California. Um, and they freeze it and they actually tie property. They set how much property taxes can raise by, and that if you're, as long as you're not selling, it's a very low rate. Uh, the problem with that is there's a loophole for corporations. Now I love me. I love me some Disneyland. Mm. However, Disneyland occupies a pretty prime real estate, a piece of real estate in the middle of Orange County. They pay property tax on that as if they were an individual, not as a corporation. Wow. Imagine how much money it would cost if they were charged appropriately. The whole thing is, is Disneyland's not going to pick up Disneyland. Disney's not going to pick up Disneyland and move it somewhere else. Okay. So Even though yeah, they have those, them other places. In those, yeah. In those scenarios, yeah. Disneyland's not going to go anywhere, but there are a lot of companies and there are a lot of, um, you know, examples of corporations moving based on tax rates and based on labor costs. Um, and I want to talk briefly, there's this book called Capital Moves um, and it's about RCA in you know, the company RCA, like the television company. Um, and so it's called Capital Moves RCA's 70 year quest for cheap labor by Jefferson Cowie. And he talks about how this company moves from like the Northern United States down into the South, and then finally out of the country in this quest for trying to find cheaper labor, less taxes, um, you know, more space, etc. And it's just like one example of one company, but that they will move. I mean, I think that if you started taxing, like, say, Amazon, why wouldn't he just move his distribution centers, like, to Mexico? You know, and I don't know. I mean, Tesla, they're wanting to move out of California. 
You have Elon Musk, who's like investing a bunch in Texas. You have a lot of celebrities and like big dollar billionaire type of people who were leaving California because of the taxes. If you look at, um, I'm not a huge, you know, sports person, but if you look at Tom Brady, he had an offer to come to a California team. I think, I think it was the chargers, the LA chargers. Now he decided to go to awful the team, detestable, <laughs> traitorous team, but he ended Qualcomm's up- gone, by the way. Did you know that? I saw it demolished, yeah. The, the other day I drove by and it is now completely gone. And so are the Chargers. But the point is with Tom Brady, he chose this random team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who nobody paid any sort of attention to before he got there. He simply chose them because he wanted to go live in Florida where there is no state income tax. Tom Brady stands to make millions of more dollars per year by just simply not living in California. So he just chose this team based on taxes. That's one example. And so my concern is if you do start to tax people appropriately, I think you're going to have you're, you might have this mass exodus of companies from the country. Um, and that worries me. I don't think it's right. And I think that there should be some way we could like punish them, right? Like, well, you're not allowed to sell your products here then and you have to pay X amount of dollars. But I'm way in over my head talking about this, I would say, because I just, this isn't my specialty, but that's my like gut reaction to it. Well, it gets us back to excise and tariffs that maybe before income taxes were designed at all, maybe they were onto something that these were the easiest ways to rapidly adapt your tax structure. Taxing was through X. Ex- was taxing goods and imports and purchases. Um, and do prices go up? I mean, it's... Do they pay their workers less? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... it's First of all, the exodus from California, I think, is a little overstated. Everybody talks about this. And sure, there are people leaving, but there are plenty of people moving into California. Um, California can't be moved. Like you, you cannot take San Diego's wonderful year-round weather. And I'm not going to name a specific other place, but I would much rather live in San Diego than somewhere where your concern in January is how many feet of snow you've got to deal with in the driveway that day. I'm, that's just me. Sorry. And that's one it's of the just, reasons RCA moved too, because they were looking for warmer climates. They moved to the Sun Belt and then eventually to Mexico. There's really uh, nice climate in Mexico, just I think it, I think Hawaii could charge whatever tax rate it wanted and you'd still have people coming there. Yeah, because people want to go. Well, and that's how a lot of their money is made through tourism, right? Well, San Diego, a lot of our money is made through tourism as and well. Military. I mean, the, the pandemic has really hurt the city. Um but I but I think this is it's interesting because at our core, somehow we still have a knee-jerk reaction that taxes equal an infringement of our liberty. Even if the taxes, even if the tax revenues are explicitly going to something like paying for military cost, uh, paying for infrastructure. Um, I will never forget I had an a discussion with a student some time ago. And she was very proud of the fact that she did not rely on government tax monies for anything. Okay. 
Now she's attending. Oh my gosh, San Diego State University, oh, which is a public institution, right? And she, how did she get there that day? And well, I asked her. I said, "So you don't take any government money?" She's like, "None. I pay my own way." And I said, "Okay." She said, "I pay my tuition." And I said, "Well, let's talk about that." So your tuition is, I think the tuition was eight thousand dollars for that year. And I said, "Did you know the actual tuition is twenty thousand dollars?" And the state of California, for every student that attends the California State University system, foots the bill for twelve thousand of that. You don't even see that, but it is an amount of money that's being paid to provide income to people like me who teach you. And I said, second of all, all these buildings were constructed with public money. All the roads um, that got you here. I mean, you didn't write the the freeway you traveled on to get you flushed to the university, the trolley system. If you don't drive, if you take the trolley system, the trolley that brought you to campus, that's all goods that's paid for by the public. I mean, it's um, and she was just incredulous. She was like, but I don't take money from the government. And I said, well, we all use things that are paid for via taxes. That is the reality of living in the country. Here's here's my brilliant idea. Okay. I'm going to float this publicly. It's probably not a brilliant idea, but what if we were to be given a list of things that needed to be funded every year, every person mm-hmm. pays taxes. And we had to select 10 things from that list and say, put my tax money toward this. Watch how quickly this country would change. We would not be funding the military anymore. Not very many people would check that box off. Think of how great schools would be, roads would be, right? Like if you got to select what your tax money went toward, can you imagine how different it would look? Because my problem with it is like, I don't mind that there are taxes taken from me. What I do mind is that 80% of that goes toward funding the military. Right. And schools suck, roads suck. But see, but here's the problem. If you do that, if you do that, it means people like me who don't have children, I'm never going to vote to increase funding for like daycare. But but there's not that many. I mean, there are more. Although I would, you know children. me and I, you know me and I, I actually mean, would. Yeah, because what do you want them just running the streets? Right. But I mean, the problem is something like that, a scheme like that is it devolves to self-interest. People only then want things that they see an immediate benefit from funded. Why is that a problem? We still need a military. We still need a military. A ginormo one? It doesn't need to be as big as it is. But I mean, do you know 80% of our taxes go to that, to funding that machine? How much of that goes to fund the VA? I'm on the VA constantly. And see, that's the thing, right? Like, if I could tick off, let's take care of the people that we forced to go fight for our country, absolutely. I'd tick that box. Well, but we didn't force anyone in our contemporary wars to go fight. Okay, I think that they are forced by their victims of circumstance a lot of economically. Time. Economically, they're victims of circumstance. Okay. Some. Some. Anyway, Some. I, I just think like it would be so interesting to me to just even poll people and see actually where money would end up being spent if people had a say in where their tax dollars went. Wouldn't that be interesting just to see how things would look a little bit different? Or you don't you don't trust people to make good decisions. 
I mean, it's funny you say that because I do think people at their core are generally good. I, I, I am torn. I, part of me wants to be a federalist and the other part of me believes people are actually good basically and decent. Um, and they've been conditioned by society to not display that or to kind of reject that side of themselves. I don't know. I mean, taxes are taxes are sticky because taxes are all about you putting money into a pot that on some level you believe you don't derive any benefits from it. I And so that's the thing. I think it was interesting you brought up that student because I do know that we all benefit from taxes. I think we could benefit more if the tax monies were allocated in a different fashion. Or if we were able to collect more from people who need to pay their fair share, who don't? I mean, like they were just publishing some data like about corporations. It's like if you bought a pair of Nikes last year, you paid more in taxes than the entire Nike company paid. Just be by buying one pair of shoes, you paid more taxes than the entire Nike company made. That's mm-hmm. disgusting. But at the same time, I mean, you derive benefits. Um, I mean, how much would that vaccine have cost if you paid the real cost of it without government money subsidizing? That's a really good point. This whole pandemic, right? I mean, it would wow. be it would be unaffordable um, if governments weren't subsidizing education for people at public universities. Uh, I mean, all of this. I mean, elementary. It's, the government well, this subsidizes is, all right. I mean, this is the thing. I I, I think uh, there'd be no internet if it wasn't for government taxed monies that were used to fund that. There'd be none of this stuff. And I think the problem is governments, federal, state, and local, don't do a good job demonstrating to their constituents exactly how tax monies are being used. And the only time people hear about tax monies being used is when they hear about it being misused. Or when it has to do with funding certain elements of the community that people aren't happy about, right? I mean, there's been a lot of discussion and um, data coming out of major cities about how much money goes to police forces. And the whole idea of defund the police isn't cancel police, but like quit giving them so much money. Quit letting them be paramilitary forces that are wandering our streets. Put that money toward education. Reallocate those resources towards community building, mental health awareness, social workers, schools, reallocate the money and don't just fund this local military force, right? That's that's where people get upset too. Yeah. I don't know. I'm really interested I mean, to see what people say. What are the so so let me ask you this to kind of finish up. What do you think the most if you had to pick a decade or two as the most prosperous decades in U.S. history, what would you pick? Okay, I love that you asked me this because I'm happy we're going to get here. I think when people would say things like, make America great again, you would ask them, when was America great? They'd be like, the 40s and the 50s? What was the tax rate? At a certain, I think in 1952, it was 93%. 94%. But for most of the 50s and then all of the 60s and 70s, it never dropped below 70%. How insane. And look at how much explosive growth we had as a country during those decades. A national freeway network. 
And and the boomers are the beneficiaries of this massive, oh, completely. huh? Completely. completely, completely. And they don't even they don't even think about that, right? And they're the ones that are protesting. You know, we have very very small tax rates now, comparatively speaking. What is it? Like well, one of the things Ronald Reagan campaigns on is in 1980 is cutting taxes. That it's sure because that generation had already gotten everything they needed. 1981 Economic Recovery Tax Act of 1981 cuts taxes from 70 percent to 50 percent. 50 percent is still pretty beefy. It's be- for, compared to now. But five years later, the Tax Reform Act of 1986, and this is Ronald Reagan's second term, um, said they were going to institute a two-tiered flat tax. Uh, they increased how much your base tax was, but topped out the top tax rate to 28%. And when we when did we really start struggling? I, I mean, and I'm so torn on that because to think of 93% of my income well, being taken, I, I wouldn't be able to survive. But things were just cheaper. And well, here's the thing. For the rest of the 80s and at the very beginning of the 1990s, it became apparent that 28% top tax rate was really hurting the government's ability to manage expenses. And so the top tax rate goes back up to 39.6%. And there's this huge, the night and in the early 90s, and there's this huge period of prosperity again in the 90s. The federal budget gets balanced because it goes up so much. Yeah. The deficit shrinks, all of this stuff. However, 2001 Economic Growth and Tax Relief and Reconciliation Act drops the tax rate back down to 35%. Please notice who's, who's in office at these times. So uh, Economic Tax Recovery Act and the Tax Reform Act of 86, that's Ronald Reagan, raising the tax rate to 39.6%, that's Bill Clinton, lowering the tax rate to 35%, that's W. Um, 2012, American Taxpayer Relief Act increases it to 39.6%, that's Barack Obama as president at that point. Um, And then we get an initial 3.8% act uh, amount added uh, because of the Affordable Care Act. So we end up with a 43.4% tax rate. Well, Joe uh, Biden's plan to tax people who make a certain amount of money, and I think he has it at 400000 he could even like bump that up and we'd still be making so much more money if people who were making, say, a million dollars a year were paying more in taxes and I don't, I don't know. I mean, that there are very powerful people who would fight that, but like mo- most Americans would not be harmed by that at all. Well, but Americans always imagine themselves as temporarily impoverished millionaires to quote Gore Vidal. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that they, they are afraid. I mean, Americans are afraid of the death tax, um, taxes on property that transfers after somebody's death. Um, although for most Americans, it's not applicable at all. It's not even, none of us have assets that will get us into that tier. Um, I don't know. I, I think it all goes back to a couple of things. I think it goes back to this deeply ingrained suspicion that taxes are in, are automatically an infringement of our liberty. And the other I think is more 
connected with religion and and kind of Protestant work ethic values that if somebody makes $10 million a year, they deserve it. They worked hard for that money and they deserve that money. But the, I, I love, again, going back to that student, how many resources were used by that individual to make that money? It's not, it was not a bootstraps. Like you pulled yourself up and did this all by yourself. Like they benefited. With a small loan, small loan from his Small loan from my father of $400,000. No, a small loan from my father of a hundred million dollars. hundred million dollars. Well, yeah, that, yeah. Yes. Um, Anyway, I was, I was really not looking forward to this conversation. I'm not going to lie. This is the first time where I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about taxes, but it ended up taking like some really interesting turns and twists. And like, I think it ended up being a good conversation. And, and like we said earlier, I mean, it's, this is not a very studied area for us historians. Dissertation writers get on it. Uh, I mean, if you, if you want to go to graduate school in history, apply at Harvard to work with Sven Beckert and pitch doing some kind of history of federal income tax. Sven Beckert, he's an historian of capitalism. I'm sure I've talked about his book, Empire of Cotton. Yes, we talk about that book often. You need to read that book. It's It's an amazing book. book. It's a very good book. it actually talks about taxes as well. I mean, it's, yeah, wow. Um, so, well, that was fun. I liked it. I like talking about this kind of stuff. It was a good deal. Were we doing baseball next week? We are doing baseball next week in honor of baseball season starting last week. Um, the Padres threw a no, no hitter last night for the first time in history. Uh huh. Everyone's They're very excited team. about it. By everyone, I mean it's, my parents. It's kind of. It's kind of odd that the Padres are not a bad team. It's refreshing. It's because they're back in the brown and yellow uniforms. When they had time to shine now, because the Chargers are gone. So, like, you know, it's their time to shine. Petco Park is gorgeous. It's a really cool stadium. Yeah. It's right on the water. I recommend going and catching a baseball game. It's neat. It's such a nice Eat all the snacks, because that's the only reason. Eat all the snacks. Yes. All right. Thanks for joining uh, us today. I'm Jeff. And I'm Hillary. Till next time. Mm-hmm.